Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 31 17. What up, what up? You are locked on the Dallas Mavericks. This is Isaac. I'm the editor at The Smoking Cuban. Today, I am not joined by my co host, Nick. From Mavs Moneyball, if you're a regular listener, you know that he normally opens up this whole thing. Uh, Today he's taking a day off as I am joined by one of my friends, an employee of the Dallas Mavericks, Earl K. Sneed. But before I get to him, a a few news and noteworthy things from the past two or three days from over the weekend. The Mavericks officially announced the signing of Brandon Ashley. Uh, The details of the deal is not has not been released yet, but Ashley is not a new face to to the organization. He was a training camp invite a couple of seasons ago, and uh, the the group of camp invites with like Kyle Collingsworth and Keith Hornsby and some of those guys, and so he obviously didn't make the team, spent some time overseas, and then came back and was on the summer league team, both summer league, Orlando and Las Vegas for the Mavericks uh, this past summer. He played really well. He seemed to build a chemistry with with Dennis Smith Jr. And I don't know. We look forward to seeing what it's going to be in camp. It could be uh, a type of deal to where he stays with the legends a lot, or he could challenge, you know, for that last roster spot that's open right now, the 15th spot, or maybe a two way spot. We're unsure at the moment, but he is signed, and he will be in training camp this fall i'm sure nick and i might talk about it later on in the le- in a week more when nick's back running the show another thing that happened over the weekend was the the africa game the nba uh, in africa which is always a cool event this year the mavericks fans we have an added thing to watch for as far as dirk was in the game obviously and i won't say too much about it but it was a fun event all around to watch to see on tv and just to really following social media more than TV because we got to see all the different things on social media and players working out with each other, poor Zingas, and just different things uh, around the game. But another thing that Nick and I will probably talk about later on the week, but cutting right to it because it's a long conversation. If you like longer pods, here you go. It's a Monday, Monday podcast for you. Today I'm joined by my friend, Earl K. Sneed. Earl is the beat writer for the Dallas Mavericks. He is a co-host for Fox Mavs Insider on Fox Sports Southwest. Um, if you get to go to Mavs games a lot, then you obviously know who Earl is. Earl does it all. Earl's a sharp-dressed man. You probably There's probably not a, a guy in the whole arena that's a better-dressed man than Earl is because he's always rocking his vest. I even make a joke about it, which I jacked up. Because I said something about Calvin Klein, and he it's Kenneth Cole, so you can laugh about that at the beginning. But anyway, Earl's an awesome guy. It's been an honor to get to know him over the past year. 
and connect with him even beyond things with basketball, which you'll see in the conversation that we talk about some things outside of basketball. But we hit a bunch of different topics. We both share love for John Legend, which we'll talk about at the beginning, except his love is a whole different level. And uh, his fandom for Legend, uh, he is the number one fan. So it's really cool uh, because Legend seems like an awesome guy. Um, we talk about the Nerlens Noel situation. We talk about Seth Curry's fit with the team as a six-man guy. His fit next to Dennis Smith Jr., possibly. We look at different things. Earl started. He's been the beat writer for the Dallas Mavericks since 2011. So he came in the t- during the title year at the beginning of uh, the championship year for the Mavericks. So he got kind of spoiled with that. So he got to uh, cover the Mavs during that. He's been been with the Mavs ever since that point. So he's seen a lot of players come through, a lot of relationships. He's seen Dirk grow. He's seen just the ups and downs of the Mavericks over the past multiple years. So it's always fun to talk with Earl about stories from that. He tells a funny Dirk story with him personally during his first year. It's always fun to talk with Earl about those stories, about different players and memories from 2011 or any of the past years or whatever it is. So I hope you enjoy today. It's a fun conversation. Earl's a great guy. If you see Earl at a game this fall, always holler at him. He's always waving, taking pictures with somebody. But with that being said, here's my conversation with Earl K. Sneed. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 right, so I'm with my man, the man, the myth, the Calvin Klein vest sponsored Earl K. Kenneth Cole. Kenneth, Kenneth Cole. Cole. You even have, I should know this because you even have the GIF like pinned, don't you? I used to uh, until I got the picture with John Legend. I, I did before that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of John Legend, so I saw you on draft night, but yeah. before draft night, the last time I'd seen you was front row, John Legend concert, concert dancing with your now fiance. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, just give a backstory real quick. I knew I knew Earl. Like to say you're a John Legend fan is one thing. Like I say I'm a fan until I met Earl, because like <laughs> there's there's fans, and then there's Earl. Because that's how, like, I try to explain to my wife that, like, okay, I feel like we're John Legend fans, but then I met Earl, and, like, we're not really John Legend fans because Earl is a John Legend fan. Yeah, I, I'm a diehard. I mean, um, I go back to John Legend, like, 2002 John Legend, like, my senior year of high school. So uh, that's <laughs> – I've got a deep-rooted uh, – not just like he's he's had an influence on me, but more than anything, like I've invested and in seen his his career grow. So that's one thing. That's just the music side. But at the same time, I, I like what he represents. You know, the social activism, uh, him as a husband, him as a father, him as a fashion icon, like everything that he stands for. He's kind of like my Frank Sinatra. So you know, it goes beyond the music for me. It he uses 
he uses his stage very well. He does. And I love it. He does. And I mean, in an era where people try to be PC or people try not to take a stance on social issues, he's not afraid to do so. And he's also like with the mass incarceration in Louisiana, like he's come to the forefront and said, I want to be the face of all these movements. So, I mean, I look up to the guy aside from the music. Yeah. And that's what I think I love his music, but I think it's that side of him. I almost love that side more. Yeah, for sure. Just the fact that he gives he gives a crap, and not only he gives a crap, but then he don't give a crap about what other people think. Yeah, yeah, and he comes from an era where, you know, you had like Bob Marley, you had, you know, we, we looked at our entertainers to be more than just entertainers, like uh, Frankie Belafonte, like those guys were socially active, even the athletes back then were like, Uh, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like those guys actually stood up for something. So I think he comes from that era and he wants to just know, not just be a figurehead, actually stand up for what he believes in. Yeah. And that there's really arguably he, he does it better than anybody in the, I guess, music industry, really. Yeah. And you say stand up for a war for it from uh, the MTV VMAs, he's up for a war for his social activism on Sunday. So, oh man, I didn't know that. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, so you said stand up, and just so I was gonna finish the story. My wife and I are at the concert, and we're sitting there watching John do his thing. And John just has the like the savviness, like he's just like he's such a chill dude. And he he tells the crowd, he said, "All right, now listen, everybody. Like I'm gonna need you to grab your girl." Grab your man. I need you to slow dance. I need you get do your thing. Before he could even finish the sentence, <laughs> there is one couple in that whole place that's that's standing up already dancing, and that's Earl and his fiance. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't heard him perform live the song Slow Dance in years because he always brings a woman up and dances on her, and since he got married, he doesn't do it. So the second I heard the beat, I was like, babe, we got to stand up. This is our chance. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he kept walking over. And he, like you said, we were on the front row. He kept walking over and directing a lot of what he was singing towards us. So, you know, that was our moment. But the second I heard that beat drop, I stood up before he made that announcement. And, so, and some women might be shy, embarrassed. But the fact that she just jumped right up with you, was that just like the final straw? Yeah, she she's not shy. <laughs> she's not shy. Uh, she was actually when the concert first started. She was actually more into the dancing than I was. You know, I was looking around the crowd. There were a lot of prim and proper people. I was like, I don't want to be that couple. I loosened up over the course of the night. She was already in that mood. So, and if you uh, you've seen the video and everything, when we went to All Star Weekend in New Orleans, yeah, I saw John perform. We were on TV. Like she's not afraid to. You know, have a good time uh, on that forum. So, yeah, she was all into it. Hey, just like you. Yeah, I mean, that's why she's the one for me, right? <laughs> is your is your wedding going to be as entertaining as Harrison Barnes? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to be as grand as Harrison Barnes. I know that. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not. I didn't sign for ninety four million dollars. <laughs> it won't it won't be that. But we'll definitely have a good time. The reception will be great. It'll be on a beach. We'll we'll have a great time. So uh, it's not going to be quite 
what we saw uh, Ronnie 2K put up on his Instagram story, but we'll definitely have a good time. Dude, he actually had his Instagram story or his Snapchat, one of them. It looked like he was almost taking videos through his glasses. Was, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't miss a thing because literally he put the whole thing on his Instagram Every story. single thing, like almost every drink he took. Yeah. But yeah, and he had a good seat for all of it. So, or he was standing up whenever you know everyone was doing the speeches um, during the reception. So I mean, it was. I felt like I was right there. <laughs> you basically attended the wedding. Yeah, I didn't miss a thing. <laughs> all right, so we're talking about the summer already. But what has your summer looked like? I know you went to summer league, but since the season ended, as a beat writer for the Mavs, what has kind of your summer looked like? Is this your downtime? I know you went on vacation or something like what just what has consisted of your summer so far? Uh, this is the time to repay my fiance for all of the weekends. I was out of town with road games um, and just her patience with me during the NBA schedule. So like you said, I have a lot of vacation time I use during the off season, But more than anything, I spend time with family, spend time with my fiance and uh do whatever is on the honeydew list for the weekend. That's what I do. <laughs> I remember back, so I'll reference this a little bit later on, but I remember back when I did a story with you for Black History Month, and I remember yeah. asking, one of the questions I asked you is, what's your favorite part of your job, and what is like your least favorite part of your job? And I remember you saying traveling, because traveling, like you love traveling, but it's also the least favorite too, because you're gone away from people like your fiance and just all of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's great because I've been able to see the world. You know, um, when the team went to Barcelona, I got to go with them. Uh, Berlin, you know, Canada, obviously, when they play the Raptors. Uh, when the team got to go to the White House and meet the president, I got to go to that. So that's the cool aspect of it. Now, when it's minus 15 degrees of snowing in Minnesota, not so much, you know, <laughs> or when uh, good friends of mine have weddings that I'm, I'm not able to attend because, you know, there's a, a Mavericks road game, you know, not so much. But uh, fortunately, I've been able to attend Thanksgiving, Christmas with my family every single year. Uh, the NBA does a good job of not scheduling the Mavericks, so I'm okay <laughs> with that on holidays. We might have to leave on that holiday, but I've been able to have a lot of family time. So like you said, it's the gift and the curse of the job at times, but more than anything, I've got to experience a lot of cool stuff, you know. So uh, as long as my fiance is patient with me, that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> that That is literally all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what did they, what's like summer league? How now that how many times have you been to summer league now? Uh, I've been to summer league probably the last six years. Okay. Um, well, the last six years that they actually had it because of the lockout. Oh um, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's fun, but at the same <laughs> time, no one needs to be in Las Vegas for ten days. Yeah. So you know, uh, the NBA does a great job with it. Uh, Warren Rick Carlisle's agent, the guy that thought of the idea of let's move summer league to las vegas they do a great job it's a great grand spectacle uh it's basically has turned to los angeles lakers home games before that it was golden state home games but uh they have functions going on all week so it's more than just basketball they've moved the league meetings there so there's nba people all over the place there's players all over the place so it's a great time and more than anything we get to see the up-and-coming stars, you know, as they begin their NBA careers, and that's definitely what we saw with Dennis Smith Jr. 
Well, dude, you just like transitioned for me. That was a segue. That was pretty good, wasn't it? So, so, so I'm doing ten questions with Earl. First one was about his summer. Second one, it's a loaded question, and you can take it however you want to take it. But just general thoughts on Dennis Smith. And I'll say this: on draft night, I remember sitting at my little table. I was on my computer, and Earl comes back after Dallas made the selection. And I remember you sitting back at the table, and I looked at you. I was like, "Man, like." It's like kind of crazy, and you were just so happy, and you said, "Man, this is the guy." Like, I told you. You said this it. You said guy. this is the guy. Like this is the guy you wanted, and so just after from draft night, that's the last time I've seen you. So after from draft night through summer league till now, just general thoughts on Dennis going into his first season. Uh, he's the perfect fit. You know, the growing trend is athletic point guards. They can create their own shot and create shots for others. We saw Russell Westbrook dominate last year and fill up the stat sheet. This guy is freakishly athletic. Uh, to come back from ACL tear and your vertical goes from 40 to 48 the next year, that lets you know he's a freak. But he's so composed. And he knows his game. Like, it's not just athleticism with him. We saw the dunk. We've seen the dunks that he's been doing in gyms when he's been with his homeboys. But, like, his pivot turnaround (laughs) jumper is, like, automatic. And then, like, he just knows his game. He knows how to set people up. He plays within himself. Um, When he does make a mistake, he'll come back and make a big play. Uh, What? Jamal Mosley, the Mavs Summer League coach, really worked with him on because he's going to be playing with veterans this year, um, not necessarily the players that he was playing with during Summer League. I saw from Yogi Ferrell and, uh, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, he worked with him on body language because when you make a mistake, you have, especially as a young point guard, you have to remain stoic. You know, mm. you can't allow people to see it in your facial expressions in your body language so that's really what he's worked on so i think that's what you'll see a lot in the preseason through training camp if he makes a mistake he can't allow it to affect his body language because you know you got a 13-time all-star the number six scorer in nba history and dirk Nowitzki right there you have the leading scorer at age 25 coming back in harrison barnes uh Hopefully, and I'm sure we'll get to it, Nerlens Noel, Wesley Matthews, Seth Curry. Like, you've got people with NBA experience already, and they can't see you get down just because you make a mistake. And Rick Carlisle definitely can't see you get down just because you make a mistake because he'll pull you in a second. <laughs> so I, I think you'll see him play confidently, play through his mistakes. But more than anything, this kid is special. You know, this entire draft class, and I think there was five – point guards drafted in the top 10 this entire draft class could be special when you talk about Lonzo Ball uh, Markel Foltz you know players like that and I even love Jason Tatum who went to Boston yeah like this draft class is going to be really special De'Aaron Fox throw him in there too and and the second the Knicks passed on Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank Nielakina you looked over it like you saw the smile on my face this was a guy that I always felt had the chance of being a superstar. And I think the Mavs definitely got that in a 19-year-old Dennis Smith Jr. And you you talked about his moves in the paint. It's almost like he's, yeah. he's played like eight years already. Yeah. He, yeah. His, his pivot and his fadeaway, just how he gets – it's almost like it goes slow-mo kind of for him in the paint and that he just has the feel. And I think yeah. it's the feel that you can't, you can't always teach that. And it just 
it seems like the feel to run the system to find the open man. And you talked about his cast, and I, I love how you mentioned his cast because the NC State, I almost, I almost just throw that out the window because yeah. he just had he didn't have anybody around him, and now we see and his coach got fired. <laughs> yeah, and and got fired, and then like stayed around. Yeah, which yeah. is so like now that he had is going to have all these targets around him, you know, and he can get into the paint almost at will. So, yeah, I mean, you can't even really. It is the perfect situation for him and for Dallas, really. Yeah, and if you listen to him talk, he's such a humble guy, and he knows how to carry himself. You know, he's not just well spoken; like he's candid. But he's going to do it in the most humble way. And he'll say, hey, yeah, I felt like I should have been the number one pick in the draft. But that's not for everybody. That's not possible. There's 30 NBA teams. Somebody was going to be number one and then 29 other picks in the first round. But I'm going to go out there and play every single night to remind people, hey, I should have been the number one pick. You know, that's the kind of guy that you want coming to your team. He knows he's the best. And he's okay. He's not, like he said, I don't play with a chip on my shoulder like you would think. I play to prove the people who have belief in me right. I love that. Not to prove people who don't believe in me wrong. I try to prove the people that do believe in me right. When he told, I think he told you or he told media, I think he said that. Whenever he said that, it was that Summer League or something. And I remember quote tweeting your tweet because I just, I love that. I love that. Because you always hear about the chip on the shoulder, but you never hear about it from that perspective. And I think it speaks really into how his like mind works too. Yeah, and he, I mean he was raised by a single father. Um to come from Fayetteville, North Carolina, him and J. Cole are the only two that I know that have made it out. <laughs> I'm sure there are others, but you know, they formed a bond because they both have made it out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. But he understands both from his background, from his family history, you know, from growing up. You know, he's representing a lot of people, and he feels like, more than anything, he's going to go out to make them proud and not let them down, more so than try to prove people right or wrong. And that's what you love about him. You know, he he gets that already at 19 years old, that he can say, hey, there's a lot of people back home in Fayetteville that are looking up to me, you know. There's a lot of people that say, you know, you can't make it out of here. I'm going to show people that you can make it out of here and you can perform at a high level. And I'm also going to make a lot of people back home really happy. You said he's 19 and that's what I was thinking about the whole time. Like you just think of the way he carries himself, the, the stuff that you're saying about him and how he's, you know, his mindset with things. You think he's just, you know, 27 already and he's 19. Right. Right. I know at 19, I wasn't thinking like that. No. I was thinking, uh, am I going to go to this college party or not? <laughs> like, you know, the fact that he's 19 years old, he already understands that. And I think the front office uh, from Michael Finley, who actually went to his uh, pro day workout, saw him workout, getting to know him away from the court, you know, from Rick Carlisle now recently going to Fayetteville, North Carolina and hanging out with his grandma, you know, flying himself there. You know, I think the organization <laughs> understands this is a guy that's going to, you know, eventually have this franchise on his shoulders. And it's a great guy to come and, and take that torch from Dirk Nowitzki one day. Man, that I would say that's that is huge shoes to fill. But I feel like this is the first player that we really feel. Okay, I don't know, OK or confident or at peace in of passing that torch to, I guess. Yeah, and, and the great thing is, 
you don't have to do it right now. You know, Dirk is coming back for a 20th season. Harrison Barnes showed last year he can be the guy, you know. So you don't necessarily have to put it on Dennis Smith's shoulders. Obviously, as a guy that Rick Carlisle said, I project as the starting point guard already. You know, eventually that burden is going to be on his shoulders, and I think he understands that. But you don't have to put it on his shoulders right away. You allow him to develop, mature, get used to the NBA lifestyle, get used to the speed of the game and everything. And then one day you hope that, you know, he's ready to take those reins, and I think he will. All right. I'm going to have to go on past Dennis or else we could talk all day about Dennis. (laughs) (laughs) So I know your first season was 2011, right? 2010, 2011 was my first full-time year travel. So first full-time year yeah. was the year the Dallas wins the national championship, or national championship, that's college, the NBA title. Yeah. What does, in a small way that you could sum it up, what did that year, what was your mindset coming out of that year? Was it just like a whirlwind that you set you set down at, that summer and said, what just happened to my life? Yeah. That's that's exactly what I did. I was still kind of riding an emotional wave because um, my career was kind of ascending at the same time. The Mavericks were um, doing everything that they were accomplishing on the court. Um, so I'm getting TV interviews. I'm getting radio interviews, national radio, national TV, and then the team wins it all. And there's a parade and all this other stuff. And then the lockout comes. So it was like emotional high, emotional low. So during the lockout is when I really realized what all I just did. You know, yeah. um, I had never traveled that much, uh, as uh, you know, as I did that year. Um, I can remember having a sinus migraine and sitting in Sacramento. <laughs> Two things happened. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki was sitting behind me on the bus headed to a game and my head is pounding and he's singing Rolling Stone songs at the top of his lungs <laughs> in my ear. And I just I just gave turned around and I gave him a death stare. He's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I got a migraine. He's like, OK. And then our seats were down on the court, literally right there where he could see me. They're doing a national anthem. And he looks over to me and he's like, how's your migraine? And I'm like, dude, you're about to play in a game right now. Why are you worried about me? Uh, you know, that lets you know how humble of a superstar he is and how caring he is uh, that he's about to play an NBA game and he's worried about, you know, this young 25-year-old reporter and how his migraine is going. And then I go into the locker room. My eyes are like bloodshot red. And Sean Marion looks at me and it's like, life on the road is kicking your butt right now, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, I just got a migraine. He's like, yeah, I get migraines too, but life on the road is going to kick your butt. <laughs> and like, literally, like, that's what you go through, like, through life on the road. Like, it's a whirlwind. But at the same time, seeing the team accomplish what they did that year, seeing Dirk sprint off the court and he's hyperventilating in the tunnel, you know, going into the locker room, getting doused with champagne by Roddy Bubois. Uh, getting hugged the second I walk in the locker room by Rick Carlisle, going to club live afterwards, uh, popping bottles with Mark Cuban, him, you know, saying everything was on him that night. They got a four foot bottle of Ace of Spades, you know, everything was just fun. So it was, it was a great night, man. And you were forever spoiled. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like that every year. <laughs> 
I thought it was going to be like that every year. So then when the lockout happened, I was just ready to get back to basketball, you know. And it seemed like it took forever. Um, and I can remember hanging out with um, my guy, Luca Dessa, who just, you know, took the job with uh, NBA Africa. And we were hanging out, and the news broke that the lockout was over. And we were both, like, ecstatic. Like, we can finally resume our lives now. But coming out of that, when they, you know, were defending their title, <laughs> and they had to play three games and three nights one time, oh. and like, like it was crazy. They they played like nine games in like thirteen days or something like that, and went like <laughs> two and seven during that stretch. It was just crazy. Like the lockout was totally different from the year before when they won it all. So you know, you go from the extreme high to the extreme low. But uh, I'll remember that year for the rest of my life. It was the greatest time ever, and the fact that you know. The Mavs' first title coincided with my first full-time year with the team. You know, you you couldn't make stuff like that up. It was awesome. Well, hopefully, before you call it quits someday, that that feeling could come back, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's the plan, right? You know, <laughs> it's always the plan. Uh, and you would love to see Dirk get another one. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I don't. I don't know how far away they are from getting to that point, especially after watching what Golden State did to LeBron James and the Cavaliers last year. Ooh. You know, there seems like <laughs> there's them, there's the Cavs, and then there's everyone else. You yeah. know, and everyone else is pay- playing for third. So, you know, it, it might take a while to get back to that point, but I think the Mavs are understanding now you have to build with a young core, you have to draft well, you have to keep your young core together to allow them to develop go through the lows, go through the highs together to get to that point. So I think that's the plan now. So over the past years, since 2011, you mentioned, you know, Sean Marion, Roddy B, whoever it is. Over the past years, you've got to start some new personal relationships and from with Mavs that's kind of went on, went to different teams, stayed on the team, whoever it is. Who's a couple – who are a couple of different Mavs that maybe behind the scenes, like we know how awesome Dirk is, but like who's some other Mavs that you've, you have a personal relationship that you connected well with that, I don't know, if you can have favorites, I don't want to say favorites, but I don't know of a different word to use. Yeah, I mean, my all-time favorite um, that I've gotten close to, uh, I view him as a brother for life. We text all the time, uh, Brandon Wright. Uh, very devout Christian, carries himself well. When he got traded, I, w- I was broken hard because he was like my guy on the team. Um, I'm still close with Karan Butler. I'm still close with Brendan Haywood. I'm still close with Vince Carter. Uh, when I see Vince, he's my resident um, hip-hop head. <laughs> like I ask him what I need to be listening to, and he always lets me know. Uh, the second he sees me, I don't even have to ask him anymore. He just tells me the second he sees me. Vince Carter is the nicest guy uh, I've ever experienced in a locker room. He pulls all the young guys over, tell them not to spend their per diem, you know, save that money for the off season when you don't have checks coming in. Uh, if I if I had to pick a veteran that you know I would teach a young guy to look up to and carry yourself after, it would be Vince Carter. But the guy that I'm closest to, um, and I'll be as long as he allows me to, is Brandon Wright. That's my guy, man. So it's two Tar Heel guys. I grew up a yeah. diehard Tar Heel fan. So that's funny. And, and then Brendan Haywood uh, would yeah. be my number three. So it's all Tar Heel guys. All Tar Heel. Now HB's here. So 
No, and it's it's cool that you say Carter because so like Carter's my like favorite athlete of all time. Yeah. And yeah. like bigger than Jordan, just kind of my time and from Carolina and the Nets days and just everything with that. He's just my favorite player ever. And yeah. so he was the he was the only guy this past year that I was like kind of nervous to talk to. Because I mean I've like I've had I had fat heads of him growing up. Like I can't tell you how many times I did all these dunks on short goals and saying Vince Carter and all this <laughs> stuff. So like he was the only guy that I was like halfway and you're over there just like boys with him and I'm like, man, Earl's like so comfortable with him and I'm just like, man, this is the first dude like I'm actually getting nervous to talk to. I mean, the first time I met him, I was nervous too. And uh, we were doing an interview with him inside the locker room on media day. And then he, we, Steven Chavera was standing there with his camera. And Vince was like, you want a picture? I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, like that brought all of my, you know, nervousness around him down. And just to see, you know, like you don't see how well people represent themselves off the camera, you know, you see them in their interviews and stuff whenever you're watching from afar. Uh, but to actually be with that team and to see how he was with the young guys, see how he was with Dirk, you know, he's a guy that to still be playing and he's almost 40 years old, you already know he takes care of his body. But more than anything, he takes care of the young guys. Like, he literally leads them down the road to be successful. And I think, uh, like, uh, Jermichael Green last year in Memphis, lived at his house. So Vince told him, don't spend money on, you know, getting an apartment. You can come live with me. Like, that's the kind of guy he is, honestly. So, uh, you know, once I started to observe him, see how easy it was to talk to him, talk about things that had nothing to do with basketball, we built a nice little bond, man. And now every time I see him, man, it's all love. You know, I can't wait until he steals someone's job in the media because, you know, <laughs> that's the road he's going to take eventually. He's a great broadcaster at the same time, but he's an awesome guy. He's a Hall of Fame guy, just like he is a Hall of Fame player. And just, I mean, now his, situ- his situation in Sacramento is exactly what you just described. Yeah. As a leader yeah, with all these young guys. With him and uh, Zach Randolph. Like, both of those guys are – ideal veterans to lead that young team to take guys like De'Aaron Fox uh, you know Buddy Hill like they're going to take those young guys and teach them how to be young professionals you know so those are the right guys to have for sure George Hill also he's another guy like that so they did a great job of bringing in young guys uh, excuse me uh, veterans to lead those young guys so I I think Vince Carter I think the world of Vince Carter so I think he's going to do great things in that locker room All right, so now I'm going to pivot to kind of a, a random topic but when it comes to social media for team employees this is question five so i'll try to roll through some because i know you're a busy guy so team employees i know we have the moratorium and yeah. explain so team employees can't can't tweet can't talk anything from right when free agency starts right right so how does that until affect, it's official? Until it's official. So, how is it difficult for you? And it might not be difficult if if this is not something because you use Twitter in a more like professional way. Like you'll tweet stat lines. You'll tweet, "Hey, the Mavericks signed this player." Is there? Do you ever 
find yourself wanting to share more opinions, more this they should do this, or is that kind of like is it a balance or a struggle that is that a team employee thing or is it a you thing? You know what? Um, a few years ago, it was a struggle. Now I really like having a job, so <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna do something that would jeopardize me having a job. Not just that, I've actually fallen out of love with social media. Uh, my fiance, when she listens to that, she's not gonna, not gonna believe me. She's like, she Earl's lying. Social media all the time. But honestly, I've fallen out of love with social media. That's why, like you said, I put strictly mad stuff on my Twitter. But like during the moratorium period, it's easy for me not to say something. It's enough people voicing their opinions, you know? Yeah. I don't have to say anything. I'll just put out when something turns official because literally, I like having a job, one. I'm not going to get the Mavericks or Mark Cuban fined because, you know, I just have too much of an ego to just sit on my hands until something becomes official. Not just that, you know, things are said to me all the time that are off the record that I'm, you know, if I sit on things like that, it's easy for me to sit on putting out information on social media, you know. So um, the moratorium period, I'm glad, one, that they moved it back from they moved it down from the tenth to the sixth because it does allow me to, you know, put things out there that, you know, have been talked about by people within the front office sooner. So if Mark Cuban says, Hey, we're negotiating this with blah blah blah, then I can do it. You know? Yeah. I can do it if it's after the moratorium period, for sure. If it's on the record. Besides that, you know, I'm typically covering summer league or something like that, or spending July 4th with my family anyway. So I'm not really paying attention and putting out information during that time. There's enough people, there's enough national reporters doing all that. You know, I'm all about playing my role, being the guy that I am on my team. So, you know, if I'm a glue guy, if I'm a role player or whatever, I'm not going to try to step out of my lane and do something that national guys are there to do. So, I like to just wait until things become official anyways before I put something out. Next time I see your fi- your fiance, I'm going to ask her, has Earl truly fallen out of love with social media? You know what? <laughs> she, she's going to say no because she thinks I'm really into social media. First of all, she's not on social media at all. so That's probably the better <laughs> life right there. It really is. So like... It's, it's, but it's also easy for her to say that I'm addicted to social media because she's not on it at all. She doesn't see how much I don't use it as much as I could, you know. That's so true. Uh, that's the thing. Like you talked about, I only put on, put out official information. I put out stat lines on guys. Besides that, I see everything that other people are doing. I might be on there and not tweeting, not saying anything, and that's typically how I, how I handle everything. <laughs> All right, so let's focus to this coming season. Dallas, and kind of talking about going back to this summer, Dallas didn't go spending this summer. And you just you just dropped a piece maybe today or yesterday. I remember reading it. I can't remember if it was today or yesterday about building on the young core. Yeah, it was today. Okay, on so, and So Dallas didn't spend this summer. How... Like, what's your thoughts on that? And in a in an audio form, we can obviously go read what he wrote. But in an audio way, like, what is your thoughts on the Mavs kind of switching up the approach and not really spending anything this summer? I mean, really, hardly anything at all. Yeah, 
I mean, it's different for you, probably. What's that? It's different for you, probably, because there's no. I mean, you're probably used to the past different summers and hearing all these rumors. Oh, they're meeting with this person, this person, trying to find the yeah. official stuff, and and now it's just been kind of. I hate to use the word boring, but just kind of just sitting there chilling. I mean, I like it. You know, um, my position within the Mavs is actually within the marketing department. So I hear about all of the pitches that they're going to make to free agents. You know, that's something I have to sit on to go back to your previous question. But um, I like this because you have a nice young core. You know, I like the fact that they didn't go beyond themselves trying to chase somebody, especially this summer, because next summer is when all the free agents that you might covet are available again. So I say this is awesome because you get to keep this young core intact. You get to watch them grow together. You know, we watched them fail last year. Now we get to watch them, you know, battle back from that adversity and, and actually see a little success together and also work Dennis Smith into that fold. But at the same time, you know, you didn't mortgage your future on someone financially because you didn't swing for the fences and, you know, bring somebody that, didn't necessarily fit into the puzzle. So I love it. It's a change of approach, but I think they saw how Golden State built through the draft. You know, when you look at Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, all those guys were drafted by the franchise, and now they added KD. But before that, they went to two straight finals with the core that they had built. If you look at San Antonio, outside of the Marcus Aldridge signing, they pretty much do things the same way. And I think the Mavs understand that's how we have to start moving in the direction of, you know, whenever there is failure, you get a chance to get a high draft pick, Dennis Smith Jr. And then you get to, you know, add him to the young core that you already have. So I think it's great. Yeah. That's why I can never, I can never hate on golden state because yeah, the pre KD, I mean, you just said, I mean, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Draymond's second round pick. Even Clay, right. even Clay coming out wasn't. Yeah, the Mavs passed on twice in the same draft. <laughs> I'm just gonna say. It. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so then, and then even like Clay. I mean, Clay wasn't nearly projected to be what he is now. I mean, he was a, a shooter, a great shooter. And then we know about we know about Steph. I mean, right. the no position, and then his ankle injuries and everything. And that's why, I like, I think the an underlying thing is how his contract, how his ankle injuries earlier in his career, and it's kind of lucky, really, played yeah. into that cheaper contract extension, which in turn played into KD and you know, them having money to have, you know, bring in somebody like KD. But, yeah, I mean, you talked about building the core through the draft and, and San Antonio and stuff. That's why I could never really hate on Golden State for that. But So, yeah, I mean, a, a young core, Dallas is building on that. What... With Seth Curry, as far as there's, you know, some people think he's a cornerstone piece. Some people still think he's trying to figure it out. Last year was his first kind of year in Dallas's system. And when you just put the pieces together, if we're saying Dennis is starting, we have Dirk starting, we have HB, we probably know, you know, Wes is going to start. So this, and then we have Nerlens, you know, assuming if he comes back. So this naturally pushes Seth to the sixth man, right? Is, you would think. You would think. So do you think, is that like his cup of tea? You think he's going to thrive in a or could thrive in a six-man role? You know, it's hard to say because if you look at last season, he was playing okay, but from the time that 
Carlisle put him in a starting lineup against Phoenix in Mexico City, we actually got to see him play well. Um, and he had a breakthrough then. And even if you look at his time in Sacramento, when Rondo got sat down and he started, he had his best games. You know, it's, it's hard to say because he seems like the, the guy that has to be in the flow of the game when the game starts. So asking him to come off the bench and join that flow or instantly produce offense like a Jason Terry did when he was here, we haven't seen it yet. So it's going to be tricky to see how Rick Carlisle handles that, you know, especially the guard position because you still have J.J. Barea, you still have Devin Harris, you still have Yogi Ferrell. Because Seth feels like he can play both guard positions. So it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. I think he's capable of being a six-man just because of the offensive game that he does have. But at the same time, he wants to be a starter. And it's hard to say with the year that he had last year that he shouldn't be a starter. So it'll be interesting to see how Rick Carlisle handles all of that. That's why he gets paid the big bucks, obviously, <laughs> and I don't. But I think he's capable of being a six-man, but he's also a really good starter. And we saw the best of him when he was in a starting role last year. And we know we know how Dallas does things with Dirk's minutes and stuff as far as, you know, we'll start the game and, you know, Dirk's the first one that's probably going to be subbed out. And, you know, I we could totally see Dirk coming out and Seth coming in and moving HB up to the four with Nerlens. How – and then you have that backcourt of Dennis and Seth. How do you – do you like that fit of Dennis and Seth together in the same backcourt? Um, I have to see it first. Like, I saw Dennis – and Yogi play together, you know, and Dennis can play off the ball, you know, Yogi's more of a conventional point guard. I feel like Dennis is a point guard, but he can also play off the ball and play the two. Uh, asking he and Seth to play together might be different because Seth can play off the ball. And he's a great shooter. Obviously, he's a little bit more than a spot up shooter, but he can play in that role. It's just defensively. What can that lineup give you? And also, those two guys are both 6'2", 6'3", and you're losing that girth against some of the bigger two guards. When you look at Clay Thompson, he's 6'7". So, yeah. you know, it's going to be hard to ask those two guys to play well and play together at the defensive end just as much as the offensive end. So I don't see the two of them playing together. I think you might see it short stints. Like, we've seen Rick Carlisle go to three-yard lineups with Devin Harris at the three. So mm. I wouldn't rule it out. Rick Carlisle definitely would think about doing something like that. Uh, but I just, I wouldn't go in thinking that's your starting backcourt. Yeah. And Devin, he can do that with Devin because Devin is a great defender. Right. And he can, right. you know, he can hold his own against some of the threes. And that's why I think Wes alongside Dennis, is just an awesome fit. I mean, you don't, might not want to say perfect, but like as far as, just he gives he you put that elite top notch top five wing defender in the game and Wes Matthews right alongside Dennis and have him go against the Clay Thompsons and all that because because that's that's the thing you worry about you see the Russell Westbrooks and stuff and like who's going to guard him if it's a right. backcourt of Seth and Dennis but and the great thing about having Wesley at the two he can bump up and defend threes to where you don't put Harrison Barnes potentially in foul trouble or you don't have him guarding the best perimeter score if he's at the three like a Kevin Durant 
you don't have him guarding him for the entire game. So that's true. I think I think that's definitely going in. I would say Dennis Wesley Harrison Dirk and barring something catastrophic happen, Maryland's coming back and being your starting center. So you let you just pitched like a slow ball pitch to me, like in softball. Or like a Dirk celebrity game, you just like barely threw the ball up for me to just hit this, go straight into the next question here. So I know you might not be able to say too much about it. So just the Nerlens Noel situation, Mavs fans, really. I mean, that's the only big thing we have really to be excited about right now. And it's I don't know if it's excitement now or just anxious, just waiting for it to be over. What can you, what can you say? on the situation, really? Uh, I think both sides want that deal to get done. Um, I think from the Mavericks standpoint, they're not going to outbid themselves by setting, you know, this deal up. Like, the, it would have been great for Nerlens to go out and sign an office sheet and the Mavs match it. He didn't do that because he wants to come back here and the Mavs, at the same time, don't want to set an offer too high, you know, for a guy who's had some injuries in the past. Yeah. Obviously, they've, they've got the great training staff. They don't think they'll have any injuries in Dallas. But at the same time, you don't want to throw this huge max offer at him when you don't have to. So I think that's really the back and forth that's going on right now. But I think the deal will get done. I don't think Nerlens wants to be anywhere else. He was sitting next to Rick Carlisle. When he came to Las Vegas and checked out the summer league team, he wants to be in Dallas. Obviously, the Mavs want him back. That deal's going to get done at some point, but I just think the Mavs financially don't want to set the bar too high when they have no reason to. And I mean, you just said it. I mean, they don't, they don't have a reason. Like they don't have like they want him happy, obviously, but they don't. There's no reason for him to go out there and throw you know 22 million at him if nobody else you know. It's kind of like what you're saying. <laughs> If no one else is there, like why? Because how much? And really talking about you know mortgage, mortgaging the future. You talked about earlier how much of these moves over this whole summer for Dallas and even this Nerland situation is being made with the mindset of having cap space next summer. Exactly. You want to keep that financial commitment to a minimum because you want the opportunity to go out and bid at the guys that will be free agents next summer. So I think the Mavs are doing a great job of just standing pat because they understand if someone was ready to knock Nerland's Noel socks off, they would have probably tried to do it already, just like the Mavs did with Chandler Parsons a couple of years ago. You know, yeah. So I think the Mavs understand we want this guy back. We want to make sure he's financially set. We want to make sure he's happy. Obviously, he likes the system in Dallas, so they're not really worried about that. I think they also understand, hey, we got to keep this financial commitment to a minimum to make sure we can have the opportunity to make a bid at one of these guys in free agency next summer. Yeah, because even like, I mean, people like to throw these numbers out there with 20 or 18 a year, whatever it is. It's a big deal whenever we're talking, you know, $3 million difference. I mean, that's that it, it might sound like no big deal, but it is a big deal when it comes with this cap space that all of a sudden has really dominated these storylines this summer. Of we seen last summer, 2016, people just went nuts, and now it's like freak-out mode and people holding their money, 
and really strategically spending it. So the difference between getting Nerlens at a just throwing like a 15 million a year to compared to like an 18, that could be huge right. in what we could offer next summer. And, and at the same time, he's only 23 years old. He has another payday coming in the future. So the Mavs understand they don't have to get it all done right now. And we've seen from Dirk Nowitzki taking less money than he could have on his last four contracts. You know, if if the loyalty is there and he really wants to be in Dallas, he'll understand he'll take less money because more than anything, you want to make sure the franchise is set up for the future. Yeah. Okay, last two questions. If you could pick one word to describe next season for the Dallas Mavericks, what would it be? I think it's going to be fun. Uh, Fun would be my word. I think it's going to be fun. I think this team is going to play a very exciting brand of basketball. They're going to get up and run a lot more than teams we've seen in the past, Uh, especially if you look at pace and style of play the last couple of years. Uh, I think they're going to get up and run and they're going to have fun. And I think they're just fans are really going to like this team. And especially if you watched them last year at the end of last year and how fun this team was to watch before they sent all the veterans towards the end of the year, this team built a little momentum, a little mojo at the end of last year. Now you got a really special rookie coming in and you got some young guys with another year in the fold. So I think this team's going to be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, I heard somebody on a radio here in locally here in Dallas the other day, and I was just going down the road, and I don't, I have no clue it is or no clue what station it is, and they were talking about how Dennis is is the first Maverick really in a, in a long time that fans will pay to come see. Like it was no disrespect to to Harrison Barnes, but well, it, it was kind of from the host, but they were talking about how he's just you know boring to some fans or like kids or whatever it is. But like Dennis is somebody that fans will quickly learn who who he is if they don't already and they they will be like marking their calendars or paying money that they want to come see whether it's a dunk or some crazy player or just the new young kid in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you'll want to get there early cuz you want to see this guy in the warm-up line. Like he does something special in the warm-up line every single game. So, uh I think fans are going to get really excited about not just what he does on the court, how he represents himself in the community. And like you said, the athleticism is just off the charts. Obviously, we've never seen in Dallas a point guard with this athleticism. So fans are going to love him. The, he's going to be a fan favorite immediately. And like you said, um, just you know, the casual fans who might watch the NBA and see what Russell Westbrook is doing, you know, they're going to get behind this guy specifically because he's that special and he, he just gets off the ground so easily when he jumps, you know. His fans are going to get really excited by him because athletic-wise, like, there's no one to compare him to in Dallas. We've never seen any guy like this. So, like you said, Harrison Barnes is the prim and proper guy. He's the fundamental guy. This is the exciting, you know, athletic guy so having two guys like that to carry this franchise when Dirk steps away it's going to be awesome so the last question and this means this means a lot to me means a lot to you we talked about this in February in the article that I did with you 
uh, dealing with Black History Month and stuff. And it's really came to light even more over the past couple of weeks with with Steve Mills going to New yeah. York and uh, even Kobe Altman in Cleveland. Yeah. Is the rise of African Americans in the NBA in front offices. And it's something I like to keep track of personally and seeing the growth over the past really decade, whether it's front offices, coaching jobs, whatever it is. I just want to throw it, throw the question to you of you know what what does this mean to you and how have you seen how have you seen this really change over your time in the in the league? I mean, if you look at the NBA, it's 75% black, you know. Mm. But if you look at the front offices, it's a lot less than that, a whole lot less. So to see very qualified African-American males start to be represented in these front offices, be a GM, be a president of basketball operations like a Doc Rivers or Santa Del Demps or, like you said, Steve Mills, uh, Masai Ujri, like seeing these guys representing front offices in a league that's dominantly black is what you want to see for the sport moving forward. It's like the NFL on the Rooney Rule when black head coaches got the opportunity to at least interview for the job just to show how qualified they are. Seeing, you know, African-American males who know the sport, who have been around the sport, and show that they can carry franchises forward is something that we need to see more of, or at least the opportunity to do so. Chauncey Billups would have been another guy in Cleveland had he taken had he not taken his name out of the, the drawing there so I, I would say it's, it's great to see but more than anything it's you know it's slow to happen like it probably should have happened already you know but we're moving in the right direction even with the Mavericks you're starting to see Michael Finley make that transition from being a player to rising up the ranks in the Mavs front office to where he's recruiting players in free agency he's doing the drafting you know Slowly but surely, we're seeing more African-Americans take those roles in front offices, and they're starting to represent what we see on the court. You know, not just the product on the court, but also, you know, the hand makers, the decision makers in the front office. That's the way it should be. And you know what I like? Like, with some of these names, it's not – because I feel like some sometime in the past, like, we, we put this caveat in there as far as – Okay, well, we have this. We have this black guy. We're gonna put him as a, a GM or whatever it is. But he has. It's because he has playing experience. Right. But now we're seeing, you know, because it's not taking anything away from you know Finley or even Chauncey Billups if he does it. But it's the guys that you know. To my knowledge, I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But like Kobe Altman, Steve Mills, they didn't play in the league, did they? No, they did not. So seeing no, guys like not. that, it's not just. Okay, he played in the league. Let's you know. Okay, he he's qualified now. Right. It's it's right. seeing the African Americans that even that didn't play in the league now they're getting their shots, and that's what I love seeing. Yeah, and it's off their own merits. Exactly, you know, it's off everything that they've accomplished, be it in the business field, whatever the case. A lot of these guys start at the bottom of the front office and work their way up potentially with a different organization. So it's seeing all the work and the years that they've put in to get to that position. It's opening up doors for young African-Americans to take on roles like that eventually. And as they kick in the doors, the opportunity will be afforded to more and more 
across the league, not just African-American, but minorities in general. Eventually, we're going to see women in the front offices mm. in the league. Eventually, we're going to see uh, Latinos or Asian-Americans, all of that. They're going to come in and start to take on these positions, just like we saw with Richard Cho, you know, and what he's been able to do in Charlotte before that Portland. So I think you're going to start to see this league that's 75% black and, what, 10% uh, international, you know, you're going to see this, this league start to reflect not just America and the demographics of America, but also the demographics of the NBA. Yeah, and seeing the diversity go from the court to the offices. Exactly. And that's, exactly. that's the next step, and that's the and step. And you can't tell me someone like Nancy Lieberman wouldn't be great in someone's front office. You know, it, yeah. it goes beyond just African-American. There's going to be women to kick in doors and create opportunities. Becky Hammond. Awesome. Becky Hammond, that's another one. She's that's next. One. She's coming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it, it'll be awesome to see, but I think the NBA from Adam Silver you know, on down, I think this is the league to do it, and we've seen the NBA be at the forefront of a lot of social movements and a lot of change. Uh, within the organizations and also everything that we see happening in society, more so than the NFL or MLB. So I think that's the reason why the NBA is so great because it's giving opportunities to a lot of different people from different backgrounds. So it's going to be awesome to see as the years continue to develop more people from different ways of life, different backgrounds, different ethnicities get opportunities like this. And to bring this full circle, I want to thank you because, in a way, you're like John Legend because you you've, <laughs> you've you have used your stage and you're kicking you're kicking down doors for the generation behind you, and you've used your stage, uh, whether it's in basketball or even your social media or your personal life and whatever it is, you you're using your stage to not really be quiet but stand up for what you believe in. And the what the conversations we had and just what I said while ago, just kicking down the doors in front of you. And so I thank you for being you and uh, just for all the hard work you you've done over the past. What? What is that? Eight years now? Six years? Seven years? Seven. Seven years in the league. And uh, how many ever years it's going to be in the future for you. I appreciate your friendship with me and uh, just uh, getting to know you over this past year. And I look forward to seeing you, I guess, in a couple months. Yeah, yeah, training camp, man. I appreciate everything you said. And from the article that you wrote on me during Black History Month to, you know, this interview now, um, you know, obviously you're doing a great job in the media ranks, but you're a great man and how you carry yourself and, you know, all the things that you bring to light, even the article that you did on Poison Ivy, like, you're doing a great job just talking about things outside of the basketball ranks. Like we do a great job talking sports back and forth, but to see how you represent yourself and to see how you represent the position that you're in and, and the things that you highlight, man, it means a lot. So I just want you to realize it's not going unnoticed. There's from myself to guys like Dwayne Price, we're definitely noticing that and uh, just continue doing what you're doing, man. Continue allowing your light to shine. Man, I appreciate it. That's what I, I try to do. Sports is fun. Sports is a passion. But really ministry and stuff I want to, you know, what I'm, I'm put on this earth to change lives, I feel like. And if I'm not doing that, then 
then I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So that's what I want to do. Earl, man, I appreciate it. Hopefully we can get together before training camp. For sure. I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you so much. It's been good. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.